From WCL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's 2020, and I am stoked for the year ahead. It's going to be a big one. Welcome to Episode 5 of WCL Pure's One Ocean. I'm Reese. I hope you're having a great start to your year. My wife, Annalise, and I have a fun little tradition of getting in the ocean to start the new year, no matter where we are in the world. When we were living on the east coast of the U.S., that meant some icy, cold polar bear dives. Here on the west coast, it's a lot easier, but wherever you are, it's a fun way to get salty and begin the year in touch with the ocean. So if you're lucky enough to be near the coast, get in the water. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, and please be sure to check out some of our earlier episodes or take the plunge and hit subscribe to get a weekly dose of inspiration from the people on the front lines of ocean conservation. For example, this week we hear from Nick Strong Svetich, who is the executive director of Save the Waves Coalition. He is a tremendous force for good in ocean conservation. He's done conservation work around the world. He's really smart, often incredibly funny, and I'm really glad to have him on the show. I'm also really excited to share Nick and Save the Waves work because of how important conservation is. As we look around the world at so many ocean issues, I continuously come back to the need for greater conservation, for greater actual protection of habitat. And in 2020, we have some plans coming together to support global conservation efforts. So this is a great way to kick off the year thinking about conservation, thinking about how we proactively protect places and just really preserve this world instead of, you know, this constant cycle of destroy and rebuild. All right. Well, I always really enjoy catching up with Nick and I love the work that Save the Waves Coalition is doing. So please enjoy this conversation with Nick Strongsvedich and a very special guest caller. Here we go. For those who don't know you, Nick, who are you? That's most people. Most people don't know me. <laughs> and that's because uh, you're not on social media, and we will get to that. Uh, that's true, yes. I, my name is Nick Strongsvedich, and I'm executive director of Save the Waves Coalition. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and what brings you to L.A.? You're actually here for a cool reason. I, uh, I came to see you and hang out. <laughs> I felt like we hadn't caught up for a long time, so... You felt like you had to get here in person to get... I, I came explicitly for this podcast... And then I happened to drop by the UCLA Pritzker in Emerging Environmental Genius Awards, which hashtag like, humblebrag. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is this was no, it was it was cool actually. Uh, I I came down here. I was I was nominated. They they have a school emerging award uh, at UCLA's uh, Institute of Environment and Sustainability called the Emerging Environmental Genius, and it's for people that are doing really cool stuff on the environmental front who are under forty. So some of our partners at Conservation International have a good connection there, and we've started working with UCLA on a number of a number of things. So I got nominated in in part because some cool stuff we're doing at Save the Waves, and in part because they couldn't find anybody else that was under forty. <laughs> so, so I was there, and uh, it was uh, it was actually really cool. Like I like to m make fun of myself and other things because I don't think they're that serious all the time. But um, the people that won the award and the other people in the room were really doing some cool stuff, and um, just super inspired. The winner was the, uh, this woman, um, Hindu Ibrahim. Uh, I can't pronounce her last name. Umadu. I, I I failed at pronouncing her Not name. Not a genius, apparently. Not, that's why I didn't win. <laughs> it's my <laughs> failure to retain names and pronounce things correctly. Um, but she's really inspirational. She's from Chad originally, and she's talking all about indigenous women and and how they can be a catalyst for change on uh, in fighting climate change. So uh, she is just really inspirational. Check out her story. But yeah, awesome. Um, and you actually. You know, we're going to get into Save the Waves, which is kind of really who you are and what you, it's not who you are, but it's what you do. It's where you spend most of your time yeah. uh, away from your family anyway. Yeah, that's right. Um, but you have some interesting other accolades. I did a little bit of homework. You're also a Malago Foundation. Is that, am I saying that? Yeah. Malago Foundation, Henry Arnold, uh, Arnold uh, Conservation Fellow. Yes. That's pretty incredible. You're also, are you still an adjunct professor at Middlebury Institute of International Studies? Technically, I'm still on the website. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you are those worth digging into? I mean, sure. they sound yeah. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I want they're... to get to save the waves and what your work is, but I think it's important that people understand that you're being recognized for this work and, and, and that it's important. Yeah, it's it's good. Um, it, it's an interesting thing to to sort of like have accolades when you've just been doing the same thing for a long time. People are paying attention now for for some reason. Um, but the, I got to say, the Malago Foundation is really really cutting edge, sort of philanthropic. Uh, group in the San Francisco Bay Area. They, they focus in two areas on international development and like poverty 
um, reduction, and then on conservation. So their main conservation thing is the um, the fellowship program each year. And so they identify kind of the best and the brightest and most scalable conservation solutions out there. So I think we were picked from one out of 1,200 different vetted organizations. Wow. And there was like, I think there was 12 of us this year in the cohort. And they're really cool people from everybody from like the CEO at Rainforest Alliance to like a woman working on really exciting stuff in Madagascar and conservation there. So it's just an inspiring group of leaders to be part of. And they're all about finding solutions and empowering that leader to really scale to conservation at a, at a, you know, at an impactful level, at a globally impactful level. So um, that was very cool to be, to be recognized for because it'd been I'd be, I think I'd been nominated like three years in a row and uh <laughs> so so they were just tired like god this guy like let me just put him in here so he stops <laughs> I have to stop trying to spell this stupid name and um they it, they really run a great job um and actually a couple of the people behind it are are very surf oriented so it's sort of like I think I also got overlooked because they're like oh this is surfing and conservation this can't be serious like we know surfing and I think it was actually bringing them along too, to be like, this is actually the thing you love can be a solution for the thing you care about. Interesting. So. That's super cool. So let's dive right into then dive. save the waves. Yeah. Uh, the save the waves coalition, you know, um, I think there are many people listening who probably know about you, but probably a bunch who don't. Yeah. So what is save the waves? Um, what's, what's your mission? What is the work that you do? So yeah, save the waves has been around for about 15 years and, um, you know, we're an international NGO, so we, we work all over the world. And and our mission is to protect surf ecosystems around the globe, like full stop. So we, we, we did a lot of soul searching in the last couple of years about like really what change are we affecting and like how does this matter actually beyond just the surf world, like for the world. And so I think that was kind of our, our, our bread and butter is really using surf and the power of, of surfing for conservation. And um, that's, that's split into three programs essentially right so you have the world surf reserves surfonomics and then endangered waves is the way you oh i'll tip you off because we haven't released it yet but we've been doing a new website coming new website coming new strategic plan it's three strategies it's creating protected areas so like uh, either marine protected areas or terrestrial protected areas like a national park or state park around surfing locations um, and we're doing that in biodiverse regions, so places that have very, very high biodiversity. So we're using surfing to actually protect plants and animals in these unique ecosystems. We're using technology tools for stewardship, so both our mobile app, which you're familiar with, um, and people can download at savethewaves.org slash mobile app. Uh, <laughs> plug. plug. We'll throw that in the show notes, of course. Yeah, yeah. and then the, the third solution is what we've always done is uh, mobilizing the surf uh, communities around the world um, in terms of campaigns. So uh, using a lot of the kind of conservation marketing strategies that you guys are so good at doing to engage, uh, really engage people to either stand up for a place that they need to defend or stand up for a policy that's going to protect their place for the long term. And I think that's what's unique about surfing. When we started really looking at this work through the lens of surf ecosystems, it was like a light went off in my head of like, how did I not see this before? You know, it's really any surfer can tell you that there's a unique combination of sort of um, oceanographic and geological processes that lead to an amazing breaking wave. You know, like like J Bay is like no other place in the world. Totally, but it's because of the how the reef is formed. It's the it's sort of the bathymetry of the ocean there. It's how the contours of the coastline that make that place. But because of that unique place, there's a, an abundance of plants and animals that really depend on that the uniqueness of of the coastline there. And then. Springing from that, there's a really unique community and economy that's been generated because of that place. Yeah, so people. when we're yeah, people. So it's really the place, the plants, the animals, and the people that come together to make a surf ecosystem. And when we start thinking about protecting all of those aspects, it becomes really, really powerful. Right. So that's surfonomics essentially, right? That's kind of the idea behind it a little bit in terms of the value placed on a space. Yes. It's it's a component of it, I think, is that once we start looking at it in terms of economics of like, well, what does this place really provide you? You know, it provides you as the surfer a sense of well-being. It provides you, the surfer, a sense of community. There's all the same surfers that you see all the time there. And then you, the surfer, are part of an economy there. So like, J Bay has got places to stay and restaurants and things that are not found in other places in in South Africa because of the uniqueness of that place. So I think it's really 
it's protecting all of that. And, you know, to think about, okay, well, where are we going with that? Our big goal is to protect a thousand surf ecosystems around the world. So we set this huge milestone, which is really cool to me. I don't have like a soundboard in here, but if I did, that's where I would do like, <laughs> like that's crazy. Wait, a thousand waves. That's wait, amazing. Was that up or down? Was that like, no, was no, like, that was meant to be like, whoa, no. a thousand. What? Like, yeah. that, I mean, that's, incre- that's incredible. Yeah. And I think it, when you start thinking about, there's a finite amount of surf ecosystems that like us as a surf, global surf community depend on. And there's, there's different studies, there's surfline data, you know, there's somewhere between 3,500 and 5,000 of them. So that goal represents 20% of the world surf ecosystem. And let's we're not, sl- let's slow down there. Cause we're moving pretty fast through oh, a lot of this. Oh. Cause we've got a familiarity. Um, so surfline says 3,500 to 5,000 surf communities. Well, not, or- not just surfline. Um, uh, the the different the different spots that are sort of out there and, uh-huh. and known. There's a, there's spots that are unknown, right? So when we talk about and I'm defining surf ecosystem as a as kind of a specific wave, if you would. Okay, so like the North Shore is not a surf ecosystem. You'd be specifically saying pipeline. Yeah. Okay. Because when you think about the when the things that come together, what formed pipeline like it's right. Ehukai Creek sort of make that makes kind of two spots really. It makes the channel and pipe. And then it makes the like Ehukai Beach Park, whatever. I've never been there, so I'm just sort of guessing. What? Yeah. Where's my invite? Do I get to come? <laughs> You're looking at me as I if I have control over that. I don't even maybe. think I'm going this okay. year, unfortunately. Right. Well, um, we'll sorry, I can't help out. We'll go on vacation. I think you. I think you do go to enough cool spots. So one part of the Save the Waves whole uh, program is the World Surf Reserve. So yep. let's maybe quickly talk about the World Surf Reserves, and then I want to talk about Brazil. Sure. Yeah. And the World Surfing Reserve is really um, like a, a very important uh, component of the protected area strategy. So that's what most people know about. Most people know us for They may even know about World Surfing Reserves apart from Save the Waves. But it's really a recognition and protection of some of the most important surfing locations around the world. So we have 11 right now. It started in Malibu. Uh, it went to Manly Beach, Australia. It's in uh, Ericeira in Portugal. It's in my backyard of Santa Cruz. Um, it's in uh, around Ensenada area in Mexico, Valle de Santos, and including the island and the big wave spot there. Um, it's in Huanchaco, Peru, which most people are like, where? One what? And and Peru has great waves. I was blown away by that place, to be honest with you, because it's not just the quality of the wave. It's also what does that place mean to the history of surfing mm-hmm. and, and the environment? And that's where arguably the first surf craft came from. So... I'm not going to, there's maybe a lot of Hawaiians listening. So I'm not going to say it was the first surfboard, but the surf, first surf craft, because for 3,500 years, the local fishermen have been using um, these reed boats called caballitos de totora, which are like um, just an ancient technology of boats made from reeds within the wetlands of that area. And they use them to this day. They fish with them, but they also surf with them. Interesting. And so they're, they're shaped, they're shaped with a lot of rock or like a, early 90s kelly slater potato chip <laughs> board um but they're they're built that way so they can go through the waves and then come back without purling and spilling all your fish and so there's there's documented like um in the ancient temples that are around the area there's documented paintings on the walls that are like 1200 years old of people riding waves on these crafts have you talked to brother cliff about this dr cliff capono do you do you do you tell him that the peruvians maybe beat the hawaiians no. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's about to find out. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think it's about beating one. It's sure. just about a. You know, it's like it's sort of like longboarding versus shortboarding. They're just different things and different discoveries, and you know? or just convergence of you know developing oh. technology and great ideas. Like we're drawn to these waves. Like it's only natural that we figured out ways to uh, venture out into the ocean yep. and to then have some enjoyment in that too, right? Yeah, so yeah cool. and if you if you had an ancient culture that was doing pretty well sort of economically you had enough food to eat you had free time some time to play you're gonna look out and be like well those things are actually pretty fun yeah um but yeah okay so i'll go back to my list here and and just hit the rest of them right um in addition to that we had punta de lobos in chile the big wave spot um we had gold coast australia and uh most recently we had a guarda Bau in brazil and so wait you're saying we had as if it's past tense but these these are all present tense yeah they're all world surf reserves which means There's a, a local sort of um, council, right, yep. who has stepped up and said, we're going to help protect this place, yep. both environmentally, uh, commercially, trying to make sure that it is, it's sound, right? I mean, yep. is that a fair way to sum it up? Or how do we really distill it down for 
people yeah, understand. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw in the, the last two, which are just okay. um, Puerto Rico and uh, in Aguadilla area and Noosa, Australia. So right. th- those round out the, the whole list of them. But basically the process is that we get lots of applications from around the world of um, communities that want to protect their spots. And so it's a pretty complex application. We vet all of them. We have a, a vision council upon which you sit. And um, we go through a list of criteria and actually vote on them. And we vote one per year. And then we verify that and we begin planning with the local community. So we set up what, it, what you were alluding to, a local stewardship council, which is generally made up of the surf community, the local environmental community, uh, local government, local business, and academia. And then we develop a very strategic plan called a stewardship plan with them. So we walk through all the things that are threats to the surf ecosystems within the reserve talk about the underlying causes of those threats, and then talk about strategies to address them, and then divvy up that work from the strategies among Save the Waves, but also local groups that can take it on. So you're kind of taking your expertise as this top-level org, working with a local council to say, hey, this is what we've learned, this is what we've seen work, let's make sure we engage the local business community, the local surf community, the local um, you know, government. You help them navigate that and put them, you put them in a position for success so they can protect their local place. But there's people on the ground who can do that and know their local spot yeah. better than you do, right, coming in Absolutely. from Northern California. But you have that expertise in how it gets done. Yeah, it's, it's the process and the platform and the recognition that I think are powerful right. um, for people. Because, like you said, like I don't know someone's spot better than they do. And who, who am I to like fly and plant the flag and be like, it's protected. I've protected it for you. Like That's not what we do. Right. We're the coalition, so we really work to build a coalition and work together with, with locals. I think that's the only way that it works. And so by, but we've seen that by building that process and having everybody that's representing the community follow the process, then they all have this um, product that they own. And they're all pushing in the same direction because it happens countless times where you work in a community and you're like, did you know that person over there is doing this thing? And they're like, huh, no. Like there's been so many times where I think in Mexico or even our backyard of Santa Cruz where it's like, did you know that group planned a beach cleanup for today <laughs> on the same day that you cleaned? And they're like, ah, oh, no. So yeah. even, it's just the most simple thing, but it's like having a plan that everybody's sort of agreeing to and then everybody's playing to their strengths and pushing the same direction. So then it's a, a multiplier of those efforts. Yeah. And I think that's what's powerful about it. It's a super powerful model. So let's get into Brazil because sure. this one, I mean, I've been across this one for a little while now, where some of the other ones I've known historically, this one I kind of you know, you know, just saw. I knew it was going to be dedicated. I know uh, Adriano was involved. Mm-hmm. I got to see you know, on your social media, on so, uh, Save the Wave social media recently, you all went down there. Um, it looked like it was an amazing trip. I know some of our WSL team were down there, Shandy. Um, down mm-hmm. in Brazil was there. And so uh, it's really cool to see it come to life. Talk about this spot. I also heard you spoke very fluently in Spanish for a second there. And then I also heard, were you speaking Portuguese down there? N- no, I was faking Portuguese. Faking That's Portuguese? Different than speaking Portuguese, yeah. I don't know. People said you did a pretty good job. Like the rumor has it that you did all right. It was passable. People understood. That well, was, I think, um, so I'll take a big step back here. Uh, the, the dedication is actually a really super important part of this. And that represents once you're done with all of the planning and the direction that you're going, right? we dedicate it formally. So there's you can be accepted as a World Surfing Reserve, but then you need to be dedicated as okay. a World Surfing Reserve officially. So that's the culmination of all this work, of all the planning, of getting everybody on board. And it's really an honor. It's an honoring and recognition of the local community, their efforts, and the importance of that place. So I'll dive in. Well, just because I have an expert who maybe was there, um, uh, ready to kind of dial in here, who was helping inform me about how you did down there. Oh, we're getting the expert. I just saw who that was. This is a call-in show. <laughs> we're just we're gonna check in with a friend. Okay, we're we're gonna see. You're dialing a friend. Yeah, phone Hello? a friend. Joao. 
Joelle, what's happening? Can you hear us, buddy? I sure can. I sure can. So... For the listeners at home, yeah, we've got Joao de Maceta, big wave surfer from Portugal, uh, on the line, Save the Waves ambassador, friend of WSL Pure, uh, all-around great human being and uh, environmental activist and surfer. And Joao, you were down there in Brazil with Nick, and I was just commenting on how uh, you informed me that he was speaking uh, Portuguese. Yeah, Nick's uh, fluency <laughs> in Portuguese was uh, tremendous. He progressed <laughs> from the first couple of days, and uh, he was really... Um, just uh, blowing people away with uh, with his um, with with his uh, uh, control of the language. It was it was awesome. People were very grateful. That was that was generous. Thank you. Hey, it's really good to hear your voice, buddy. I, I miss you tremendously. Just so you know that, and we got that out of the way. But uh, uh, thank Super you. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh... It was. It was. was a, it, no, it was. It was. It was amazing. Yeah, Joao, tell us while we have you on the line um, a little bit about your experience in, in being a part of this. Uh, we were just diving into the dedication and and being there for that. What What does that mean for you? I mean, I think that you know, I think each location has its its magic, but I think uh, this one in Brazil was. Um, it's just kind of like from the start, you know. I think the the program always wanted to really enhance local communities and um i think that's why nick was making such a good effort with his portuguese because it's just uh it's contagious you just really want to uh melt in with the locals and and uh just with the gratitude that they have for the designation and, and that just becomes something that's um uh again it's just it's just contagious it's just kind of that uh, really good thing of getting people together multiple generations you know the older surfers and just seeing all this heritage and culture around a surf spot and uh, all the layers and how surf and waves really um, influence and change and mold people's lives. And it's just one of these iconic locations that is huge in Brazilian folklore, but really didn't have such an international platform. And uh, so for Save the Waves and, and, you know, all that work that uh, the crew did there to, and, uh, to, to get the designation, um, was just uh, it was just really special, and they were just so grateful. It was just a, a long journey, you know. They, they it took three years, and they were just really diligent with with all of it. And uh, it's kind of, you know, Nick Mucha. He was like in the newspapers. We were all that. I mean, he was just kind of like um, this uh, explorer, you know. He was kind of like, oh, this American guy is uh, interested in us. So it was just kind of like remote, and and to have. Then, you know, Nick as executive director there and then, you know, and then, um, yeah. Just and the, you, the, and you flew all the way there, there from Portugal. I mean, that's a long way to I go. I flew all the way there, you know, it, it, it was great. And, and we hadn't, I hadn't been with Nick in some, in some time. And when he kind of told me, hey, you know, uh, Sean Thompson might not be able to make it. So what, do you, <laughs> what do you think? Did you think you can, you can substitute these big shoes? And I was like, damn, well, that's the big call, but I'll, I'll do my best kind of thing. And I'm honored. And, uh. And it was, it was just amazing because it, it, it's a dream, you know, it's kind of like, um, remember, you know, that's it. The World Surfing Reserves is, is really about uh, just kind of uh, having surfing in kind of a, a designation, but also like an environmental connection. And the, and the dream was this, that local communities could kind of speed run a little bit legal designations and actually be able to enshrine places that they that they care, you know, so places cool. that they love. It meant it meant a lot. Also, I think I, I have to give a shout out to Joao because it meant a lot um, for everybody there that he came all the way from Portugal, and it's sort of like, wow, there's this big wave star that's coming to pay attention to us. Yeah, you know, and that's a that can't be underscored enough. I think, and then, you know, just the power the the the, the moment of dedication was a really powerful one. They had like um, this guy, Mateus Solano, who is like a Brazilian TV actor and huge star there, Adriano de Souza, and Ricardo dos Santos was from there. And he was actually, oh, right. he was killed that. about 200 yards from where the dedication was, wow. right in front of his grandfather's house. For so those who don't know, Ricardo dos Santos was an incredible surfer and mm -hmm. was unfortunately killed. Was it two years ago now? A year it was ago? two or three. Think, yeah, yeah, two or three, yeah. yeah. And wow. uh, and he no wave of the winter winner he yeah. Yeah. won the Andy Irons award at Chile. That's mm -hmm. right. I mean, amazing barrel rider. Yeah. He was an amazing, amazing surfer on tour, and just and really he was at the heart of that community and that place and that wave is what 
but kind of made his career, you know. And so having his grandfather come down and speak about what it meant, you know, and in my choppy Portuguese understanding, <laughs> I could just feel the um, the emotion coming out of what a moment that was. So it was a, yeah. it was a little heavy for me to try to go from Adriano to Ricardinho's grandfather to then me like recapping it all. But I think that's that's my job is is my duty is to to help provide meaning for those places and and like bottle that sentiment a little bit. It, it's harder when I'm constricted by by having to like read my Portuguese and and do my like kind of fake accent. But well, Joao was like live tweeting to me or live <laughs> messaging me saying how you were doing a great job oh. and how Shandy was there and everything was pretty rad. So Joao, we're gonna keep going. Thanks so much for calling in, man. Um, no, we'll, that's we'll great to hear soon. you guys. You've got big waves to uh, train for up there at NAS. Yeah, no, Nazareth is pumping nonstop. And all the <laughs> awesome. boys are here at the cinema. We're watching a body surfing movie pretty soon, a guy who body surfs uh, here epic. at Nazareth. So, so it's ongoing. Epic. But yeah, Nick, uh, Reese, thanks so much for the invite. Great to hear you guys. All the best. You too. Yeah, buddy. Cheers. See you. Uh, aloha. He's the best. Mystery callers. Yeah, no, he was uh, he was epic to have on the trip. He was like, I, we couldn't have brought a better person, just you know, fluent in Portuguese, like, was he was actually there at the founding of the program like it really came from his idea you know so like joao is one of the founding people he used to be kind of like worked save with say the ways right yeah, he used to yeah. work at say the ways um before he moved back to portugal and um and so he's you know he's an ambassador and he's, and he's pursuing the big wave career but he he's such a layered individual of different capacities and interests that i think it's it's not just big wave frother like charging around the world trying to figure out things he's a really deep and and just kind individual so i he there couldn't have been a better person to have on that trip awesome yeah um i agree uh totally so it's funny because we're talking about conservation we're talking about protecting places and i think mm. historically the vision of that is we can serve some stuff when we protect some animals but we've talked a lot about people we've mm. talked about people connect and their connection to their place and I just feel like that's a really interesting thread to tease. I, I, I feel like we're hitting, you know, uh, there are probably plenty of people who have been working on this for a long time who are like, yeah, of course. But for many, you know, we've always seen the environment as other. And now, you know, the last 20, 30 years, we've realized how closely connected we are to it as a species and how we've been kind of messing it up. And so now more than ever, conservation is super important. And it's not just about conserving these places to have a place to go recreate or to you know, uh, protect this place to have a park to go camp in or whatever it is. Um, it's really about our own existence on this planet. And and some of that is coming to light next year in, in 2020 with the uh, 30 by 30 initiative. I mean, that's a big conservation goal. The, the idea is trying to protect 30% of terrestrial and marine habitat by 2030 um, by the IUCN and other groups. And I know that you work with them. So I thought maybe you could speak on that, the importance of like conservation, because that's the real work to me is, is protecting these places instead of trying to clean up after we've already screwed them up. You know, like, how do we get ahead of it? Yeah, I, I think there's I think there's two things there. The sort of how do you get people involved and why is why is recreation a force for that? And then what how are we actually doing conservation on the whole um, towards some of these big goals that are really recognized, you know, at the U.N. level and um, at these big international agreement levels? And I, I think when you look back at the roots of conservation, where it all came from, it really it was completely tied to recreation. So a lot of it came from hunters that wanted to recreate or from birders, you know, the, the oldest one or hikers, the oldest conservation groups in the, in the U S yeah, are Audubon. like, you know, the work that John Muir did, the Audubon society, the Sierra club, the, and, and the legacy of Teddy Roosevelt on national parks. And those had to do with hiking, birding and hunting, you know? So the idea that recreation sort of went away and it's not part of conservation, I think is, isn't, entirely correct and then we've morphed in conservation to kind of say like you know even in the ecosystem definition we were kind of pushing the bounds with the surf ecosystem definition because people are like well people aren't part of it the ecosystem that's the plants and animals in place and you're like what <laughs> people are both like animals and they contribute to the right. degradation or protection of the place they influence the ecosystem tremendously so i think and hey, when you jump in the ocean, you're part of the food chain. You're part in, of the food in, chain. In Santa Cruz especially. <laughs> yes, yes. There are things much larger than you that can eat you, and you are become, you are part of the ecosystem. 
you know, that, and that's that's what an ecosystem is, right? You are influenced by it, and you influence it. Yeah. And that that's happens for every animal that's part of it. The great white shark eats stuff, and that has rep, you know, that ripples down the food chain. And there's a food chain for the great white shark to eat. If that food chain's gone, the shark is affected. So you're both affected by, and you affect those ecosystems. So I think. And the big conservation organizations are paying attention to this now where they're like, ooh, people are actually part of the solution. So getting to your question about the third by 30, I think that's really where we're going as an organization is helping realize some of these big, huge goals and that surfing can be a, a big part of that. So that's why we're, we're, we're pushing towards a protected area strategy, both using world surfing reserves, but also a new concept called surf protected area networks which is a lot of... You're like doing all the segues for me. I don't even have to tee it up. This is perfect. Yeah, I, I read your notes when you're in the bathroom. So <laughs> Keep going. Surf, uh, surf protected area networks. Yeah, so it's, it's creating those legally protected areas. Like it could be a state park or it could be a national park or it could be a marine protected area or it could be a marine managed area or a reserve. It's just whatever legal model works the best in that cultural and economic and political context. And so we part of the work we've been doing is identifying 10 really important regions for both surfing and biodiversity where we want to work in that capacity to actually help these goals. Like all these countries have um, these commitments to like the convention on biodiversity or um, the new, you know, the, the big push for 30 by 30. Like those are all things that they're going to have to actually show they're making headway towards. And surfing is a huge opportunity for them to actually do that. And we've seen, you know, I was just looking at the numbers, oddly enough, that the dive community has always been really big in terms of conservation, getting reserves and protected areas and financing those. But the the dive industry is so, dive industry and divers is such a smaller community than surfing. Right. And it's so much less accessible. So when I, I, I just looked at this and I think there's something like, um, 12 million divers and the dive industry is worth about 80 million dollars worldwide this is what i read i and, and you know do the research and edit out my my falsehoods but it's something around there yeah and the surf numbers that i've seen is there's approximately 35 million surfers worldwide and the industry is 12 billion b not 80 million right so that's like monumentally bigger than the dive industry, which has been really effective in conservation. And so sort of, uh, I mean, this is part of the work of Pure, is like, how do we, we're <laughs> turning this interview around. By, brought to you by Pure. <laughs> um, Some good radio voice there, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, if, when I get fired, you can bring me in and I'll do the plugs for Pure here. Um, I'll work for I don't, Cold Brew. I don't think you're getting fired anytime uh, soon. I, I think yeah, you're doing no, a good job over there. But uh, it's interesting that you bring us into the, you know, uh, you've, you've, you've uh, tagged me into the, the dialogue here. I've tagged you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we see this as part of our role, uh, you know, bringing, that, bringing the surf community into conservation more. Um, I think there are a lot of people who are doing amazing work, yourselves included, surf rider, a bunch of groups around the world that we're already partnered with. There are a bunch more that we haven't worked with yet, but um, are fantastic. And yet there's still so much more we can do. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's just kind of, there's a lot that we can do, and uh, we know that, and so we got to kind of chip away. But I do think 2020 is a big year for the yeah. surf community to step up and, and really start to take a look at how we can promote conservation uh, and protect more places more proactively. Yeah, and I think we're, we, we kind of share that goal. Like you guys, you guys have a massive voice box and a massive audience to kind of get people motivated, but they're going to look for things to connect with. Right, and I think that's where we're particularly well poised is that we have these solutions ready to go, and so every extra person that we get motivated and mobilized really helps us with these solutions that we've articulated. Right, and that's where I think that's where I, I think you guys have such a unique media platform that it's both it, it's completely international. It's a huge sport in other countries. I mean, Brazil takes this stuff so seriously. Totally, and the the U.S. surf community doesn't doesn't quite know what the sport means. I think to people in Brazil and how how pumped they are about it. And there's just a massive opportunity, I think, to engage a lot of people in conservation, and that you guys have the network to do that because you're really international based. So it's not just like you know the National Football League, and we're going to reach all these people in the U.S. It's like you are the World Surf League, and there's yeah, it's in the name. 12 countries, no, 11 countries on, no, 
10 countries on tour? No. Well, I mean, Seven. you're talking about the CT, but yeah. the QS then expands it to, you know, tons of places. I mean, we're all over the world, truly. Yeah. You know, the WSL has events going on all the time. Now, not all events we own. Uh, some are, you know, licensed out, et cetera, whatever. But it's really, really cool that we can reach so many people in so many different communities. And so, yeah, we take that really seriously. That's why we got to nail our message and kind of be communicating on the right the right topics, which is, again, why we work with partners like you to say, mm-hmm. all right, hey, are we in line here? Are we, you know, saying the right message and are we on point? Speaking of different communities, uh, unless you want to say anything else, but anything else more about uh, the spans, the surf protected area networks? I, you know, I think it's just that's going to be our. Um, I think that's why all these kind of fellowships and accolades are coming is sort of what we're in the process of building is that this is going to be real durable conservation and that we're again, it's not just save the waves doing it. It's it's really everything we do is pursued by a coalition. So we have great local partners like in Brazil, we had an amazing array of partners and there's more of those networks that are happening with like our groups like Aprender is one and they're, and they're starting to form the National Surf Reserves of Brazil, which we're a part of. There's partners in Chile that are working on, there's partners in Peru that are working yeah. on it. Um, a huge partnership that's on the on the horizon for us is with Conservation International. So they don't... Heard of them. They, yeah. Tiny little group of individuals. Very small. Very, <laughs> very tiny. We're joking. They're crowd. huge. <laughs> I don't know how many people work. I think they have like a thousand people working. There. Yeah, they're pretty big. Yeah. So, you know, and, and they've got country, they've got offices in 36 countries around the world in the highest biodiversity places. So partnering with them makes this solution scalable yeah. and they have a lot of expertise in, in the creation of protected areas, but they don't really know they don't understand surfing, how to mobilize surf communities, how to incentivize people to work together. Um, so I think that's where we kind of come in and, and, and join forces. Awesome. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What I was going to move to is talking about endangered waves because you've had a couple other projects going on. Um, Puta Conejo? Yeah. Um, an endangered wave. And are there any others endangered currently that you're kind of mobilizing around? Do you want to talk about your endangered waves program? Is that going away with the new strategy or? No, no, it's, I think it's important um, to keep doing. It's just important to triage what's actually really important and why. Right. And how and what to what level we engage. So what's going on down so, there? Uh, Punta Conejo is a great example. Um, it's in Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, it's just an epic point break. But uh, aside from that, when you, again, put that definition of a surf ecosystem on top of it, it's incredible. It's got amazing waves, super long right hand. And now I'm, like, blowing the spot up a little bit. That's, <laughs> I guess that's my job. But uh, aside from that, just the ecology of the area is really cool because it's a huge wetland system behind the dunes. And then it's got, like, tons of mangroves that grow there as well. There's turtle nesting habitat. There's an artisan fishery, so f- fishermen going in and out of there. And it, you know, and there's a surf economy that's developed down there as well. And um, and so I think that place, aside from just protecting it for the waves, is ecologically really important. Um, so those things all and what's the threat? The threat is a is a big um, industrial port that's sort of gotten support from the Mexican government up, I think as high as the presidential level. And the idea was to make a giant port that you could ship things, build a uh, basically a highway to the Caribbean side, and then you have another kind of Mexican version of the Panama Canal. Whoa. So that's what they wanted to do. But that could mean huge economic gains for those local communities, right? I mean, not uh, just to take the other side for a second, you know, um, huge economic gains if that potentially becomes a boom town for that community. So I imagine it's challenging for you to go in and say, hey, we should protect this place. And everyone's going like, wait a second, what, this is going to bring jobs, this is going to create, you know, business in my community. This means, you know, upward prosperity. How do you navigate I, uh, no, that? No, I, I think that's true. I think it's, um, I, I don't think you necessarily need to be against the port. I think you have to be like, what are you losing for the port? And do you need to lose it? You know, and I think you don't need to lose all that they're losing, one. 
Um, two, I think there's a lot of promises that go into local communities by developers that are not true. So you see this like time and time again with sort of the half finished building in Mexico. It was like, oh, this this project's going to be great. It's going to bring all these jobs. It's going to be awesome. And then the finances run out, and they basically like given their fishery away for this promise of economic development. We're going to build future. you a school or something, and then it never really happens. You know, and it, what our team was saying that I thought was particularly interesting is that there's this great group of people that live down there, and in some ways like they don't have a lot but they really like what they have and they like the style of the lifestyle that they live and so they're sort of like we don't want to be a big industrial port town because we have this amazing landscape and we're, and it's providing for us some people obviously want jobs and sure. are 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 going to be motivated that by that but i also think in our research that they don't have the money to do it yet so oh, it, it can be it's sort of like propose accepted get the financing make it and so if you can kind of interrupt that chain um, then we will have, uh, you know, done something important. And I, I think more than just one place, even as important as is being protected, it's also the story of the lesson is like, this will keep repeating itself right. until you don't have anything left. And so it's it's kind of a call to action of like, stop this project, but what's the proactive structure that will follow it? So it's sort of a way to engage people on the idea of a network of protected surfing areas in Mexico as a solution to this so that we don't keep seeing great waves and great surf ecosystems destroyed. Go proactively protect a bunch of places. The other places can be developed, hopefully in a you know environmentally friendly way, but kind of let's protect really the important spots first. Yeah, and, that, and that's the idea about it is sort of do this pivot, like here's a great example of this threat and let's stop it and make something proactive to not have it replicate itself. And I think it's getting good traction as well, is that there's a growing um, a real environmental consciousness in Mexico that I think we're seeing more and more now. And so, you know, we launched a, a petition about it um, with our partners at Wild Coast and, uh, you know, and some of the locals down there. And the thing has gotten like over 250,000 signatures on change.org. Amazing. Which is, you know, a quarter million of people have, have done, you know, it's not a giant action, but have actually stood up to be like, I don't like this. Right. And the majority, you know, I always worry about having super gringo campaigns of like, okay, just Southern California, so they didn't like it, but in Mexico, maybe they're for it. But it, the preponderance was was people from Mexico. Awesome. So our like MexicoChange.org is like, hey, this seems to be doing really good. Like, can we promote it? Do you guys want help? Like, can we talk about how this is working? You that's know, great. So, so that, that's been really cool to see as well It's like... Like it, it took off. I think we had a goal of like a hundred thousand signatures, and it was blown away very quickly. Like we were like, "Oh wow, we're up to eighty thousand! Like we're almost at our goal." And then all of a sudden, we looked again. We're like, "Whoa, it's like it stretch goal, a hundred and ninety now, huh?" <laughs> stretch goal, man. Keep those stretch goals <laughs> that, going. That escalated quickly. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so Nick, we've now talked about work that you've done in, uh, you know, um, Brazil and in Mexico and Peru and all over the world. You uh, are fluent in Spanish seems like you speak some Portuguese or at least you try uh, also French and Italian yeah those ones I can actually like I can actually do I've like done business in all of them um, but Portuguese is like is complete fiction <laughs> so just... I, <laughs> cool all right so we'll, we'll we'll say that you don't speak Portuguese fluently but um, super interesting that you speak so many languages and then you've also done work I mean uh, in Nicaragua before your save the waste time and Uganda right yeah, I mean, you know, to show my true colors, I was always a skateboarder as well. So I skated in a lot of <laughs> weird places in my existence. Okay. And uh, I went to a conference, like conservation conference in Uganda. And, I, you know, I, I just as like a skateboarder, like, oh, you're so you've been go. on this for a while. Like you've been on conservation. Like that's always been your thing, it seems like. I've been doing conservation for a, a, probably, I don't even know what year it is anymore. It's just a scary future that we live 2019. in. 2019. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's about 15 years I've been doing conservation well and um, I yeah I was just at this conference and kind of I was always in a habit of like well I'm going to this weird place like maybe there's like a skate park or some place to skate and so I did this you know I just googled it and there's this Uganda skateboard union and I was like you got to be kidding like what the hell <laughs> so I read about it and uh, I was, it was the first skate park in East Africa built by kids in the community and just this totally outrageous story. And I'm like, oh, well, we should just film. Like, there's got to be a cool story in here. So I, I went and uh, 
I just brought a camera and I realized one, I need to drink more water because my hands were shaking. I was like, <laughs> looked like the Blair Witch Project, you know, it was like a worst production value ever. But the story, sometimes you have good stories. It doesn't matter how good the production is. You right. know? And the story was incredible. This guy who's a good friend of mine now named um, Jackson Mubiru. And he, he met this like South African guy that taught him about skateboarding and he had a little piece of land. And so they, they, they cobbled together this idea to build a half pipe, which then became larger with another, a couple other international folks and built a whole skate park, like in this weird little outskirt suburb of Kampala in Uganda. And kids were just ripping. And it was so cool because it wasn't like, uh, eventually it probably came through Tony Hawk or whatever. It wasn't like somebody from the outside was like, I'm going to show you skateboarding and here's your skateboards and go, you know, it was completely like from the bottom up of like, what's this weird thing? Oh, this is awesome. And so like the style of skateboarding that they had was just this complete thing that they came up with on their own. And I just thought it was so creative. And um, I think somebody also showed them like a Dogtown Z-Boys movie. So they're doing a lot of weird like laybacks. Old school like moves. Old school yeah. like 70s moves. But then just putting all their own stuff into it. And so it was just cool to see it kind of germinate on its own without a lot of outside influence. And then, you know, traveling in in um, Nicaragua, I, I kind of heard of the same project. Like locals built a skate park at a school. It was the first one in the country. And then sort of what did that mean to everybody? And I just thought it was cool. It was like an interesting side project. And um, that was rad. Like the skater Chico Brenes was there when I was there. So we just hung out and skated. Cool. And so he was like in this movie and... It was a good, it was a good, like, how do you make a movie? Yeah. Like, experiment for me. So, and do you think that that's been important in your work? Like, just all this travel you've done and engaging local communities, trying to understand, you know, what you're doing now, your previous experience, kind of being hands on, just on the ground in lo local communities. It seems like you have a real knack for getting in and trying to understand what's important to them and, and the importance of telling that story and sharing it. Yeah. I think I've kind of always done that. Like, I've gone on a trip. My wife hates me for this because I really suck at going on vacation. Like, <laughs> like, I'll be good, like, sitting around on the beach for like two days and I'm like, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm just sitting around here, like, let's do something interesting and creative. So it's always sort of like getting to the heart of like, what's important to a community, how decisions get made, what's the story of the people. So when you go on vacation, do you then turn it into a conservation trip? You know, you're like, honey, there's a city hall meeting that I just want to go to. And I just want to oh, listen she, in. She would just be like, it's, <laughs> she's like, why are we going to this meeting right now? <laughs> you know, we went to Portugal and. Uh, and you turned it into a work trip? I was like, we just have to do this one thing. I just have this meeting with the municipality, and it's going to be like, it's going to be really. Sh and then she is like, and now there's another lunch you have to yeah. go to. And then, you know, it's a, it, but, you know, we got to go to the contest. It was like at Super Tubes during the contest. So that was, there's like doors that open with that too, sure. which is kind of fun. So, yeah. but it's um, tough to balance it when you're working on something you care about to balance that with, you know, your, your personal life. I mean, you have two kids, you're married. Mm -hmm. Um, but what the work you're doing is hard and challenging. You're a small, you're seven people at Save the Waves. Yeah. There, there's kind of the core nucleus is seven. And then we have like a fluctuating between four and five people that are sort of on the periphery of that. But that's not a big staff for the amount no. of work that you do. No, no, it's not. On a tight budget. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we get a lot done. It's a lot. And people, people think we're a gigantic organization. That's you're saving the waves. It's a, it's a bold it's name. A lot of waves. He has a lot of waves. <laughs> um, yeah, it's you know the the two things is my wife is very patient with me, and she's awesome, and our kids are awesome, and um, you know, but now it's a little bit different because they're the priority. So yeah. it's not like work is not the priority. It is a priority, but it's not the priority. Right. So there's there's kind of less like. I'm just going to go to Indonesia right now. And, you know, there's other things that are, yeah, that were formerly very fun are, are like a little bit more stressful because I'm like, okay, like I want to get there, get my stuff done, go home and right. like hang out with you guys, you know? So, so that's important. And then I think how we actually get stuff done and, th and this makes it even more important is by those coalitions. Like there's no way we would get this much done with seven people around the world if right. we weren't really good at building those coalitions and incentivizing them and feeding them and having those partnerships. So, Really, you know, like we're just a, a mirror and a catalyst and a platform for the really good work and the desires of local people to get it done. Like, you know, again, to my friend Quito in Brazil, like he did an amazing amount of work for his place and we helped him along the way, but he's really part of the team and the coalition right. that gets it done. So in Brazil, there's, you know, on the local stewardship kid, there's like 22 people and seven kind of hub uh 
like core executive committee there doing all the stuff. So Save the Waves reach is magnified by those 22 people doing stuff that all have a job in the net in the state park, in the municipality, as a water quality scientist, as an economist, as all that stuff helps us really like deliver results, which is what it, what matters at the end of the day, right? You know? So so we're we're nothing but a coalition, and we're nothing without the local partners. Very cool. That's awesome, man. So um, we're obviously going to link to Save the Waves Coalition. I would say that you all could go find Nick on social media, but you can't. No. Uh, well, you can, but well, you're on Instagram, but I think you haven't posted in years. It's a bunch of weird stuff too. Yeah, that I was like thought was funny, um, and then that which, was awkward. Is that hard for you? Because you know, here you are doing so much work and so much of modern business is telling story and being out there and being like a vocal leader of an organization like Chad at Surfrider does a great job of being very vocal and, mm-hmm. you know, calling people out on stuff. You know, I think that that's an important role to play. And then you've made a conscious decision not to. So I'm curious, is it challenging or does it allow you to focus more? Is, is it a strength? Uh, both, I think. I mean, it's so I think I like, you know, I was pretty active on Facebook for a long time. We all were until we, you know, realized. And then I was realized like, <laughs> nothing on there was true (laughs) it turns out the world was round this whole time and i all my buddies are posting about the flat earth uh no but i just thought that you know i spent a bunch of time um posting on there the beginning of save the waves like i started the instagram account that we have like i built that community network and then there was it was growing i was just doing it all the time you know, so I'm just like on the phone, blah, 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 typing things out or posting things or getting this picture, or, you know. And then um, our team took that over more and more because, one, they were way better at it than than me. So the, the huge shout out to Lauren Perino from our, from our team because she manages a, a huge amount she does of a communications. Ton. And she's just – she's an amazing individual and, and such a – I've never met anybody can learn better than her and, and just like do new things and make them look amazing. So she gets a huge a huge shout out. But – as that team capacity grew, it was less and less important for me to do it and manage it. And then I just felt like at a certain point, like I'm spending so much time in this not world of like this, you know, I don't want to say the matrix, but you know, like it's not actually life and you go to the airport and you've got 150 people and I still do this, but like no one's looking up. No yeah. one's looking at each other. No one's talking to each other. Everybody's talking to somebody else through their little box. I mean, I literally just texted someone right yeah, now I while know. you were saying I this. I saw that. It's important. It's relevant to this. You've got a plan to catch. We've got to keep things moving along. Yeah. So, so my point is that um, I'm constantly distracted too. Like I'm constantly distracted by the phone anyway because I'm reading news and I'm checking email and I'm doing that. And just like having the burden of, you know, there's four social media networks that i'm a part of oh, and so as i there's per- tons that as we're a, all part of whether we want to be I mean, or I'm, not <laughs> i'm in there yeah. i'm on facebook i have an instagram account i'm on linkedin theoretically i have twitter but i never look and that's like a lot of communication and then as i had kids i was just like i don't want to do that so my my instagram got hacked i was like your your account has been accessed from ukraine and i'm like oh and then i and then I switched my password or whatever, and then I couldn't remember it and I couldn't sign back in. So I just said, oh. you know, I'm done. It's the universe. So so I stopped doing Instagram, really. I'll check it now and again. Sometimes it's important for me to interact with people, like in our network. But I realize that because I'm not on it all the time, um, when I sign back in, I feel bad. Like I feel like I'm missing out. Like, oh, I should have sent that person that thing. Oh, I wasn't at that event. Oh, that person's getting so barreled. Oh, I wasn't at that. Oh, I should have. And then I just start feeling shitty. And then I think the biggest thing is for my kids, and not to sound like I'm some like super principled thing, and I'm like the you know best father in the world, but I just know I'd be a way worse father if I feel like oh I gotta check Instagram and I'm not like reading to you. Oh, I gotta check Facebook and I'm doing blah blah blah. Right. I mean, I'm already distracted enough. Like the phone still is a distraction. Where I'm sure. like, my dad's like. You know, my, my kid's like, Dad, will you play trains with me? And I'm going like, uh, I'm reading about like the Trump impeachment. Uh, one second. You know, I'm like, why am I doing that? So it's a constant. Right. It's one less of those things that I have to do. And I feel like in, in, in the grand scheme of things, like, is did anything so important happen on social media that I won't hear about it? Fair. You know? Yeah. I, I think the probably the only thing that's really hard is um I have a lot of friends that are in far flung places and so I don't talk to them as much. 
right. where I don't engage with people. Like I would engage a lot with people that are in different places beforehand. But I think I, I do I do like to stay off of it because I think um, I do want to have less distractions for my kids. Yeah, I hear you. Um, a couple of final questions. Okay. <laughs> Purple. This is one that I love to I love to ask. Uh, if you could go back in time and change one thing in history, what would it be and why? Oh, I mean, it's like so cut and dry as the 2016 election. I mean, it's it is a disaster. <laughs> and, you know, we said we weren't going to talk politics. I'm not going talking. To, politics. I, I jokingly I, asked I, you. I, I you know I wanted to make sure that uh, no, we're not going to make any jokes. But I think that one thing is has caused a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, for sure. Interesting. Um, and then looking ahead, mm-hmm. what are you most excited about in the year ahead and why? What What are you stoked about? I am, I'm personally just stoked on watching where my kids are going and, and seeing them like get bigger and do funny things and go on adventures with them. Um, I'm excited to kind of get our, our strategic plan out into the world and, and kind of um, scale up in the way that I think that we can soon. And then I'm excited. Um, I'm actually pretty excited about seeing some of the some of the young leaders like really step up is actually pretty interesting. Like the thing last night, you know, like all those people were much younger than me, and so conv- I guess convicted is not the right word, but what spoke but with conviction, not not even spoke with conviction, like lived with conviction. Yeah, and that's a different thing. Fair. Like to actually live your values is something that I probably need to learn from them. You know, like I'm I'm flying around all over the place. The lights are on at my house. Um, I eat meat and things like that. You know, like I'm not the most sustainable person, but my values are like about sustainability and and fixing this issue. But I I think like I don't know. I I just think that like living like stand up and be like you're talking about one thing and you're not living it and and hearing that's really important. And, you know, I, I spend my time working on environmental issues. I don't feel that bad, but. Like. Yeah, man, I would say you're living it more than you think you are. I mean, there's a spectrum. And, and you know, I actually, it's funny that you bring up the youth leaders. I was at a dinner last night mm-hmm. with a, a young woman. She's 20 years old. She's been accepted to Stanford, but deferred for two years to work, focus on um, the climate strikes, the youth climate mm-hmm. strikes. And she's part of the team that's organizing all that. So impressive. And we had this discussion around, you know, what does it mean if you drive a truck or you eat a hamburger? Can you be a climate activist or not? And while sure, it's better if we all reduce our carbon footprints and do less of these things, I'm of the mind that, you know, we need everybody. You know, and if you drive a truck, like, that's okay. It doesn't mean you can't be a part of the conversation or can't be a climate activist. You know, we need everyone to be a part of this no matter what. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm never going to tell someone just because they eat a hamburger once in a while that they can't be a part of the solution. You know, no, I mean, that, I, that's I, my personal thing, and that's the way I live my life. I try and do as best I can, as often as I can, but, you know, there are places in which we are part of a system that was created around us. And No, no, I, I agree with that, and I think that uh, I'm, that gets, I'm not super strident on sustainability, but I'm pretty, I think that conservation is pretty important, and I don't think you're going to, you're not going to solve the climate crisis by taking away people's hamburgers like that will not stop (laughs) or people's trucks like it is it is at a political economic and personal level and so i think it needs to be done at all of those levels but that's what i think is it's just cool to see there's people living with those convictions to be like i am part of i am not going to necessarily like negotiate on this future yeah that's that's like it's interesting because you haven't seen that type of like vision for a long time. And I think conservation sometimes misses vision. Interesting. Well, I mean, this has been a fascinating conversation and I feel like conservation is such a big topic and there's so much more to unpack there around, you know, protecting these places, creating places that are both, you know, uh, environmentally just for the local community, allow for recreation, um, hopefully protect habitat for wildlife and contribute to our overall goal of drawing down on climate and everything. So it's like so, so important. There's like so much more we can unpack for another conversation, but this has been really, really fun. Um, Just getting to sit down with you because we don't get to do this that often. And I really love the work that you guys are all doing over at Save the Waves. I mean, the team's incredible and it's so impressive and um, hopefully we can do do more together. Yeah. Awesome. No, thank you for the opportunity. It's it's fun to be able to talk at these things, you know, long length. I thought this was going to be more hilarious 
We're gonna try to. <laughs> we do when we We're, do catch up. You know, normally we goof around quite yeah, a bit. The Joao was calling in the notes, and I'm so intimidated by your professionalism. It's, <laughs> it, it's uh, no, it, it is. I'm it, laughing. I'm smiling. There you go. I had to get something out of you, but uh, no, it's great. I and I, I, I'm just thankful for the support of like partners like you guys, and um, and I think what you're doing here is really cool. As you know, you got the award. Your vision's good, and um, you know, it's a, just a pleasure to be part of the team too. Thanks, man. It is a team effort. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Nick. Is the music going to come on? And you know? <laughs> no. no. Okay. We'll, we'll let this roll out. Where's the guy with the gong? <laughs> just just take gone. the headphones off and leave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick, for such a fun conversation and for all you and the team do to protect our ocean. You cannot find Nick online, but you can find Save the Waves at savethewaves.org and on social media at Save the Waves Coalition. Also, special thanks to our buddy Joao de Macedo for calling in and for all his work. Joao is a humble yet hard-charging big wave surfer, and he's been a great champion for ocean health for years now. So thanks to both of you for all that you do. As I said at the top, we're stoked for the year ahead. Follow along at WSL Pure on social media, or check us out at WSLPure.org. Or if you want to hit us up directly, send us an email at oneocean at WSLPure.org. We're eager to hear from you. Until then, we will be uh, working hard. We'll be back next week with an episode with Malati and Isabel from Bye Bye Plastic Bags. We'll also have Flotsam and Jetsam back. We'll be back on track and ready to go for 2020. It's going to be an amazing year. All right. See you soon. <laughs>